Hi folks, and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again. Great to have you with us today. Glad you could tune in for this episode in which we're going to discuss a topic very relevant to any foreign investor anywhere in the world. Really, Japan most certainly included, but anywhere in the world. And that is the topic of foreign exchange rates. If you talk to anyone who's been considering investing overseas, whether it's in a country that they live in as an expat or whether they're still living in their country of origin but are considering investments elsewhere, many of them will quote foreign exchange rates or rather the fear of fluctuating foreign exchange rates, to be more precise, as a main reason for their concern about pulling the trigger and actually going ahead with their investment plans. And investing in Japan isn't different in this regard. Foreign exchange rates are definitely an issue if you're not living in Japan, but even if you are, a lot or even all of your savings may still be in a different currency, typically of the country that you're originally from. So you might have, for instance, 20 or 50 or 500,000 US dollars or Australian dollars or euros saved up. And for whatever reason, you've decided that you want to invest them in Japan, either because Like many of us, you live here or visit here regularly, and you've come to appreciate many of the aspects that make property investment here attractive. And we've discussed many of these on the podcast many times in the past. Could be the monthly returns or the character of the professionals, the tenants, the other people that you'll be dealing with while buying, selling, and managing your properties here. Or you may not be that familiar with Japan, but you've been exposed to the Japanese property market fundamentals, either on this podcast or via some other channel, So for whatever reason, you'd like to invest. But to those of us who haven't ever invested overseas or dealt in any other currency aside from our own, the idea of fluctuating exchange rates can be pretty scary. You could be evaluating a deal which seems really attractive and within your reach one day, pay the deposit, prepare all necessary documentation, and then suddenly, when it's just about time to settle, your home currency suddenly takes a hit or a dive for whatever reason. Your $100,000 that you plan to wire the day after tomorrow suddenly turn into 120, and that puts a huge dent in your financials, and you think also makes a huge difference in the projected returns that you are assuming you're going to get. Or if we look at it uh, another way, Say you've received your rent in Japan and you're just about to wire it back home where you needed to pay your mortgage on the home that you live in or to pay this month's credit card bill or whatever other purpose you may have this income lined up for. Then suddenly the Japanese yen takes a hit and your $1,000 monthly paycheck suddenly turns into $800 and you're scrambling to scrape together another $200 from somewhere to pay those bills. Another common concern related to exchange rate fluctuations is maintenance and repairs. What do you do if you've just withdrawn your income and remitted it back home, and then all of a sudden an air conditioner unit breaks down in one of your apartments, or an earthquake hits your property, and you now need to suddenly remit a measly amount, $200, $300, $500. So the exchange rate doesn't matter as much as in the previous examples, But you know that international bank fees can come up to $50 or $80 a pop, which makes what should have been a small repair job 20 or 30 or even 50% more expensive all of a sudden. And if you've got, say, six or eight or 10 properties in your portfolio, the same thing could happen again next month or the month after that. And all of these tiny amounts that are blown up to medium amounts because you're emitting funds overseas eat significantly into your income. 
And that income, especially if you've been playing it safe and investing in cent central properties in good and stable locations, say like Tokyo or Osaka, places that may have pretty low cash flow to begin with, then that income suddenly shrinks, shrinks by a significant margin. So it's these types of concerns that a lot of people who are thinking about taking the first step towards investing overseas are worried about. And on the face of things, these are very valid concerns. There are definitely a lot of people who have been burned by these types of scenarios time and time again, to the point where some of them, especially those who have been burned pretty badly, will do their best to warn everyone that they speak to who's even considering this type of investment to avoid it at all costs. Because, as they'll tell anyone who's willing to listen, once you start dealing with any other currency except your own, things become unstable and unpredictable and downright scary. And that there's absolutely nothing you can do to avoid it because markets are markets. And you as an investor have absolutely no control over what a country's currency will do this month, next month, or next year. And they're right from their perspective. But here's the thing. To those of us who have already invested overseas, and I would argue to anyone with a bit of financial sense and know-how who's ever successfully saved any amount of money for a rainy day with any success, the solution to these issues should be pretty self-evident. And not only that, I would further argue that these fluctuations can actually present a fantastic opportunity, not only to not lose on these types of foreign exchange plays, but even to, more often than not, actually increase investment profits on the back of them. And I'm not talking about becoming a forex trader, not by a long shot. You won't need to um, sit in front of a screen through strange hours of the night, bleary-eyed, drinking mug after mug of black coffee, waiting for a forex graph to peak this way or that and pounce with a mouse click. Not even close. I'm actually talking about a few simple, common-sense rules that you'll need to keep in mind before kicking off your investment during the portfolio planning phase, and during the course of the portfolio's life cycle, when you're collecting your yields and managing the properties in it, and if at all possible, if and when the time comes to sell and realize your equity as well. Now, that last one is a bit harder, simply because in many cases, when people sell a property, it'll be due to reasons altogether out of their control, say a change in life circumstances, for better or worse, a pregnancy, a marriage, uh, on the upside, or, and knock on wood that this would never happen to any of our listeners, but it could be a medical condition, an accident, or even a death in the family, or what can happen a lot more often, simply a downturn in their other investments elsewhere, say a career change, etc. So a lot of things could necessitate a sudden fire sale of a portfolio or parts of it, in which case we would need to liquidate properties fast and get those funds back home at whatever rates the market currently offers. But in all other cases, during the planning phase, the purchase phase, and throughout the portfolio management phase, we definitely do have control, or at least we should have control if we're doing things the right way. So what does that actually mean? Well, first and foremost, it means planning ahead. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't be opportunistic and pound some good deals when they come around, you can and should be able to pull the trigger quickly on a good deal when opportunity knocks, but you should position yourself to be able to do that profitably ahead of that time. And exchange rates play a large part in that. So let's take a typical first-time investor scenario. Let's say that for whatever reason you've decided to invest in Japan. Now, as part of that plan, 
you would have done your homework and prepared your infrastructure. So you already know how you're going to be transferring funds in and out of the country. If you live here and work here, you've already got a Japanese bank account set up. And if you don't, you've most likely already found a buyer's agent like ourselves. Or if you're operating in one of the major three internationally no renowned locations like Tokyo, Osaka, Niseko, you may have already found an English-speaking realtor or taken on virtual office presence with one of the major providers, etc. So you've got some way to send funds into the country as well as to withdraw them when the time comes. Well, this is exactly the point in time in which you should be transferring those funds into that country when rates are in your favor. You're not in a hurry. There's no settlement deadline looming. There's no urgent payment to make, nothing of the sort. You've got essentially all the time in the world to just sit and wait. And you could be evaluating potential deals during that time too. That's absolutely fine, but that's not the main point here. What you want to do is sign up with a Forex provider, and there are many of those around, whether it's OFX, XE, TransferWise, or any of the uh, prominent Forex providers around. They'll give you better rates than the banks on any day of the week too, and set up some alerts in their online systems. So, for instance, if you've just started monitoring rates and you know that they're now at, say, 110 Japanese yen per U.S. dollar, take a look at the chart a year back or so, see what the last few peaks were and when they happened, and set your alerts accordingly. So if three months back, say, the rates hit 120 Japanese yen, then trended down again. Seven months ago, they hit 125 for a day or two, then trended back down again. One year ago, they plummeted all the way down to 100. And these are all very valid peaks that can happen multiple times during the course of one year. So you would set your alert to, say, 120. Or if you've got time to spare and you're not too rushed to invest immediately, maybe 123. And when that day arrives and you get an email or a text message and you get that alert, boom, that's the moment you lock in the deal the exchange deal, which holds that rate for you and gives you about four to five business days to get those funds to the trader. You contact your agent in Japan um, in case you're not living in the country and you let them know that you'll be sending the funds in and then you remit those funds regardless of whether you've got a potential deal lined up or not. See, here's the thing. You probably already know approximately how much you want to invest. That's no secret to you. So why not remit those funds across now when it's actually in your favor to do so rather than three or four or six months later when it's almost settlement deal, uh, settlement day, but the rates are suddenly at a yearly low of 108 or even still at the same level or only slightly above it, say 110 or 112. This may not sound like a lot, just 10 yen per dollar, but that actually works out to be almost 10%. And if you're remitting $100,000 for a property purchase, you just earned yourself $10,000. Or even if you've only avoided losing 2%, that's an extra $2,000 in your pocket right there. Get the picture? And it's, it's well worth keeping your funds liquid in that case, regardless of whether you've got the option to lock them up, say, in a term deposit or another investment, because there is no term deposit account anywhere in the world definitely not at the current economic climate, that'll give you even 5%, not in any major currency at least. Now, the exact opposite works in the other direction as well. Similar to the purchase case, withdrawing your income works exactly the same way. But, and that's a huge but, 
you should wrap your mind around the notion, and this works for any type of investment, really, let alone real estate rental income. You do not rely on your rental income for any liability payments back home or elsewhere. Zero. Not for your shopping, not for your mortgage payments, not for your credit card or your other monthly payments. Nothing. The only thing you can use your rental income profit for, again, unless there's a real emergency that's out of your control, are two things. Savings or further investment. Now, that takes some discipline and planning for sure, but it's crucial, again, for any type of investment. If you think about it, things aren't really that different even if you're investing in your own backyard. What happens if you're relying on your rental income to pay the mortgage on your investment property or the home that you live in? And then a property becomes vacant. There's a reason investor education programs always talk about safety buffers and warn against negative gearing or at least the more reliable ones do. Don't get me started on the get-rich-quick schemes and the gurus, the seminars, etc. But hopefully you're wise enough to avoid those in the first place. So again, same story. Let your income build up. Leave it exactly where it is in Japan or whichever country you happen to be investing in. And keep monitoring rates. You set up alerts, again, this time downward peak alerts. And you withdraw your income and remit it back home when the rates justify, regardless of whether or not you've got anything to do with it back home, unless, and that's the only reason not to remit it back home, you're saving up for your next investment in that same country. Makes sense, right? So down to the third worry. What happens if you suddenly need to pay for a small repair, etc., and you've just withdrawn your income? Well, that's actually the easiest part. Simple. You work out what's the minimum amount that's worth remitting between the two countries, considering the remittance costs, which normally wouldn't be over 100 bucks or so for anything less than, say, forty or $50,000, even if you've got the worst deal ever with your bank. So generally speaking, you should always leave at least, say, $2,000 or so in the country where your portfolio is being managed, right? Because $100 remittance fees for 2000 is a pain to be sure, but it only amounts to about 5%. And 5% of a rel relatively small amount at that. Might be a pain to remit such a small amount at such a cost, but it definitely won't drive you broke. And don't forget, you're monitoring rates and only remitting funds across when the rates justify. So hopefully, you would have made at least 8 or 10% extra on your most recent income withdrawal anyway, which means you're still at a relatively large profit overall. And again, don't worry about what you could have done with those 2000 bucks back home because, again, no interest-bearing account will pay you anything that's even remotely close to those 8 or 10% that you'll be saving or profiting with. And that, in a nutshell, is it. Stick to those rules and you're guaranteed to not only not be bitten by exchange rate fluctuations, but to actually make some pretty neat extra profits on them. Don't forget, simply by virtue of investing overseas and having access to more than one pool of liquid funds in more than one currency, you are already, for all practical purposes, a forex trader to some extent. You may not need to monitor those rates on an hourly basis, but it's definitely in your best interest to be monitoring them daily or at least weekly. And if you're one of those people who's actually invested in more than one or two countries, you've got access to even more liquid funds pools at whatever level of magnitude, which means that you can make more of these plays on a more regular basis and increase those um, fun little side profits even more. And most importantly, 
you're not going to get stung by them. So you're not going to become one of those bitter foreign investment hate preachers who really, if you think about it, are only bitter because they didn't take the time or have the discipline or knowledge to simply observe those simple rules. And what happens if things take a longer downturn for any reason? Say one of your paired currencies takes a hit and stays down for a longer time. Well, if you're investing overseas, you've probably got more than a single source of income anyway. In that case, this period is probably the best time to remit every bit of liquid cash you've got in the higher currency, as long as, again, you don't need it for any other purpose, don't forget that basic rule, to the lower one, either for the purpose of future investments or simply for the purpose of withdrawing it at a profit in a couple of years' time when things swing the other way again. And if you're dealing with major currencies, they most likely will. So good luck with your investment, folks. That's probably it from us for today. Definitely been a long enough episode. Hope you've enjoyed this content. Do share it with your networks or anyone you think may find any value in it. We welcome and appreciate your comments, your questions, your feedback on whatever channel you might have found us on. And we would really, really appreciate it if you could rate us. One star for bad, five stars for great, or anything in between in the iTunes store or the podcast directory. And even better, please leave us a review. Let us know what you think. It helps us improve our content and reach even more people who may benefit from it. Hope to have you with us next time. And until then, from all of us here at MTI, we wish you a great weekend. And as always, happy investing.